And hello there, I'm Peter Mansbridge. This is The Bridge for this week. And we got a few things to talk about, and we will dip into the mailbag. I know uh, some of you were wondering why we didn't last week. We kind of ran out of time, so I'll have to manage the time a little better this week because i got a, actually two little ones that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this week, but that'll be on the mailbag a little later. Um, I don't know about you, but of the things that I watched this week... The one that had the most impact on me was actually watching live from St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador on Thursday, Thursday afternoon, Ontario time, the funeral of the late John Crosby, the Honorable John Crosby, former cabinet minister in the governments of Joe Clark and Brian Mulroney. Now, I covered John Crosby. I was a reporter in Ottawa in the late 70s and early 80s. Covered him then. Covered him both while he was in opposition and when he was in government. And then when I moved to Toronto and started anchoring, I covered him and talked with him and interviewed him a number of times. And he was, uh, we, we loved John Crosby because he was great, he was great TV. And he was always interesting on the topics of the day and loved a good argument. But watching the funeral on Thursday, I spent obviously a lot of time listening to the things that were said about him and the eulogies that were given, beautiful eulogies by his son, by former Prime Minister Mulroney. But I was watching the crowd, looking at the crowd. Because in so many ways, it was not the end of an era, but you could see the passing of time happening. And in the way, the passing of a different brand of politics. You know, the thing we used to say in back in the 70s and 80s was, they really went at it. Hammer and tong during question period, during debates in the House of Commons, the Liberals versus the Conservatives or the NDP, social credit at one time. There was a lot of it, a lot of back and forth. But you know when the bell went to end, well, there is no bell that ends question period, but when, when question period ended, and they were in regular sessions of the House of Commons, and MPs broke out of the chamber, there was a different atmosphere. And it wasn't uncommon to see members from different parties going out together, either for a drink or for dinner or whatever. Now, you know, as I said, I watched a lot of good, good back and forths on the floor of the house. John Crosby was in many of them. Pierre Trudeau used to get into it with John Diefenbaker, of all people. They used to have great fights, and they'd usually end it by crossing the floor and shaking hands. Now, some people look upon that 
as that wasn't good politics. It's okay if they can't stand each other and never talk to each other. They're there to debate the issues of the day, and if it gets tough, it gets tough. They don't have to be friends. I don't know, maybe they're right. I enjoyed the old way. When things weren't so polarized, and it allowed a certain kind of camaraderie after the debate over issues had taken place. Didn't mean their feelings were any less. They were, they felt strongly on their beliefs. Anyway, when I was looking in that crowd who'd come to say goodbye to John Cosby, there was some of that, you know, some of those old political foes. It was interesting to look at how they'd all come there and how Crosby had brought them all together. You know, Crosby, who'd run for the leadership of the party in 1984, so his foes at the time were Joe Clark and Brian Mulroney. Joe Clark must have had mixed feelings at different times for John Crosby. John Crosby was his finance minister in 1979, introduced the 18 cent a gallon fuel tax that many people felt was the reason the budget was defeated and the reason they lost the election. Barely nine months after coming into office. Joe Clark and John Crosby, who in 1984, Clark was leading that leadership convention on the first ballot, the second ballot, the third ballot. On, I think, the second ballot, there was a movement afoot to say, Joe, you can't win. You don't have enough votes to win. And as each person drops off, they're going to Mulrooney, and you're going to lose to Mulrooney. The only way you can stop Mulrooney is to throw your support now behind John Crosby, who is running third. Which would have been a startling thing to see. The person in first place moving to support the person in third place to stop the person in second place. Now, it didn't happen for any number of reasons. I'm sure Joe Clark felt he could still win. He also felt strongly that the leader of the party should be fluently bilingual. John Crosby was not. Ryan Mulroney was. Anyway, they were, they were never political foes to the point of arguing within, within their party structure. But they were on that, that convention. Bob Ray was there. Bob Ray, who came to Ottawa in 1978, I believe, in a by-election, one again in 79. Young guy sitting in the back benches of the NDP. He put forward the motion of non-confidence in John Crosby's budget in December of 1979, which the government would fall on. It was Bob Ray's motion. Bob Ray was sitting there at the funeral. Brian Tobin, one of the original members of the Rat Pack of the Liberal Party. Backbench MPs who, between 
1984 and 88, caused all kinds of havoc against the conservative government and against John Crosby, who was the Minister of Justice, I believe, in Mulroney's government. So there was a foe, but he was sitting there. Sheila Copps, I don't think she was at the funeral. She was out of the country, but she had taken the time to say some wonderful things about John Crosby. And we remember all the baby, Sheila baby comments and how the two of them were at each other in the 80s. Anyway, I could go on. But there was, it was a different era. And over time, usually over very, not very much time, they understood that they were also colleagues, even when they disagreed. And there they were celebrating the life of a man who uh, added a lot to this country. There's no question about that. Now, it was also interesting looking around that room for another reason. Well, let me make one more point about, before I move on, about the eulogies. Chesley Crosby, John Crosby's son, made an incredible, beautiful, beautiful eulogy. And so did Brian Mulroney. And I know there are strong feelings about Brian Mulroney across the country. But if there's one thing nobody disagrees on, it's that that man can give a eulogy. And he's constantly asked to do so. He reminds me in a way, and uh, my friend Rob Russo mentioned this to me the other day, reminds me in a way of Ted Kennedy, who was always put in the position of having to give the big eulogy, not just for his family members, but others as well. Celebrating a life usually ended in tragedy. Brian Mulrooney celebrates lives, and he's done so in some very big funerals. Just, you know, to name a couple, Ronald Reagan, George Bush Sr., and this week, John Crosby. He knows how to celebrate a person's life. And he did so... uh, with class again. And the other thing I was going to point out when you look around that room, you see how many either declared or potential conservative leadership candidates there were in the room? Now, I'm not taking anything away from them and their, you know, number one reason for being there to celebrate John Crosby, but they were also there, I'm sure, to be noticed that they were there at one of the great statesmen of the party. So, I I mean, uh, the ones I saw, Peter McKay, who's declared he's in, Aaron O'Toole, the Ontario MP with the Air Force background. I think he was in the Air Force in Winnipeg, actually. He was there. 
Jean Charest was there. Now, he hasn't declared yet. Neither is O'Toole, but people think they'll be in. Charest is an interesting one. What's he going to do? He certainly got the leadership chops. He was leader of the PC party for, what, three or four years? Then he became leader of the Liberal Party of Quebec. Now, people say, oh, he's a liberal. Well, you can make that argument, but let's not forget why he went to Quebec to be leader of the Liberal Party. People begged him to do that. It was right after the Quebec referendum. The place was in turmoil, and both liberals and conservatives were behind that move. Now, he went and he, he stayed. He eventually won the premiership of Quebec, and it I think he won three elections. So the issue about him, for a lot of conservatives, is, well, what, is he really a liberal or is he a conservative? Is he yesterday's man? He's only 61. He's like a decade younger than I am. He's not old. But his name's tied to some things that seem to have happened a long time ago. Peach Lake... GST, free trade, Charlottetown referendum. Anyway, he's there. Who wasn't there? Ronna Ambrose wasn't there. But if you remember, I've mentioned a number of times in this podcast that in the end, I don't think she'll run. But she certainly would be most likely the favorite if she decides she does run. I guess she's going to say something at some point in the next little while. Pierre Polyev, I don't think, was there at the Crosby funeral, but his name is constantly in play and in motion. With people wondering about uh, how he would do. He's almost certainly going to run. It's just a matter of when he announces that he's in. You may remember him from the uh, from the past. He is a very aggressive in the House of Commons. Really knows how to go after those of other parties. We'll see if he's toned down if he runs for the leadership. Whether he goes after his fellow leadership candidates if he's in. So. It was interesting. Looking around, you're seeing the faces of the past, some of the dynamics of the past, and you see the potential players for the future. And in the middle of all that, Justin Trudeau, who may well have just been through, so far, the best week or two of his prime ministership, of his whole time in Ottawa. Most people seem to agree from different political stripes that he's handled the whole situation around the shoot-down of the plane in uh, Tehran carrying so many Canadians who lost their lives. So it was quite something to watch. And... um, You know, it's sad that uh, we had to lose John Crosby to see something like that. 
but I think John Crosby, remembering him, he probably would have been pretty happy that people not only got to hear about him, but they got a view of their country through its political leadership in both the past and the potential for the future. One last thing on that leadership list. If Ronna Ambrose doesn't go in, I can't believe the Conservative Party will allow there not to be a competition among, among at least some prominent Conservative women. So her decision is going to influence decisions of others. All right, I promise that we'll get to a couple of letters, and we will. We won't dwell on them, but I think they're both interesting. So they're coming up at you, well, right after this. Okay, from the mailbag, and we're starting with uh, Mary Claire Massacott, and uh, Mary Claire is from Port Alberni, Port Alberni, BC. Here's what she had to say, and I had a few letters on this topic, not surprisingly, there's a lot of people have been interested in it. I'm a royal watcher and admire the Queen very much. My thinking is that this is the beginning of the end of the British monarchy as we know it under Queen Elizabeth. Prince Charles may very well make a good king, although he does not have the moral authority of his mum. Okay. I'm curious about your thoughts. You know, when I read this uh, letter, Mary Claire, I thought, Back to 1997, standing in front of Buckingham Palace on the week Diana died. She died on a Saturday night. I got there on the Sunday night. I think this was around Wednesday or Thursday. The crowds had been building tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, flowers 10 feet deep outside Kensington Palace where Diana had been living and outside Buckingham Palace. And looking up on top of Buckingham Palace, the royal standard. I wasn't flying because the Queen was up north, I think at uh, Balmoral Castle. But the flag that was there, the Union Jack, was flying full right to the top of the mast. It wouldn't, hadn't been lowered. The Queen had not asked for it to be lowered. And that became a scandal. And it brought the issue of whether or not this was the end of the monarchy. Well, eventually, when the Queen moved down to Buckingham Palace and the royal standard, her queen's standard, was lowered after much public criticism. The funeral happened. And soon after, they moved in some high-powered, very expensive 
PR people to advise the royal family on how to turn this situation around in terms of the way the public was feeling about them. And it eventually worked. But it's all tied to one person. It's tied to the queen. She's not going to live forever. She's well into her 90s now. What happens when she goes? What happens when everyone starts talking, as they have been a little bit because of Harry and Meghan? What happens when they start talking about how much money all this is costing? Who should be paying for it? What do they really do anyway? It'll start off a whole new round of this issue. And a whole new round about the UK. If Brexit happens, and it certainly seems that way, and if Scotland says, we're out of here, and if Northern Ireland says, we're out of here, well, you don't have a United Kingdom anymore. You don't even have a United, you don't even have a Union Jack anymore. You've got to take those flags out of the composite that is the Union Jack. Things will start to shred around the edges. So, Mary Claire, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that we've seen this movie before in terms of having this debate. But it may be more serious this time, and we may be just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Here's the other letter. It comes from Jessica Heron. And I don't need to make much comment on this. It stands on its own. Jessica was listening to... Uh, podcast the other day when I was talking about members of the Canadian forces who were serving overseas and how we sometimes tend to forget them and every once in a while something will happen where we remember them as we did last week when it was realized by most of Canada hadn't realized it before that we actually had people in that base that was fired upon by the Iranian missiles last week Anyway, Jessica writes, Both of my parents are Canadian Forces vets and are truly the two greatest people I have ever met. I may be a little biased, she says. My dad retired as a chief warrant officer after serving over 30 years and was well known for his dedication and fairness to those who worked for him. He served a few deployments in his career in Honduras when my sister and I were just small kids, and more recently in Kuwait. That year, I vividly remember spending Christmas Day at my mum's house with the laptop set up so that my dad could participate via Skype from across the globe. I love that story. And I think the image is pretty clear. And the realization should be clear on the rest of us as Canadians about how some families have to celebrate Christmas when their loved ones serving in the armed forces are on the other side of the world. And in some cases, not just the armed forces. Members of the RCMP who serve overseas, bureaucrats, you name it. But those in the armed forces, I think it's worth remembering that little story 
keeping that little image in your mind. The next day you're with your family and you're all celebrating together, whatever it may be, a birthday, a holiday, whatever. That some people to do that have to depend on the laptop and Skype or FaceTime or whatever it may be so they can have their family all together. Thanks for that, Jessica. Thanks for that reminder. All right, that is the bridge for this week. It's been good to talk with you. I look forward to talking to you again in seven days. I'm Peter Mansbridge for The Bridge. Thanks for listening. 